Hey guys, it's Frank here just to say a couple of words. It's been a while since I've communicated directly uh, with the listeners uh, via the show uh, and not on social media. I just wanted to thank everybody. I wanted to express my my gratitude on behalf of Dara and Josh and Michelle and Greg and John and Dino and Aristotle and everybody else on the team and associated with the show uh, for listening, for following us, for continuing to support the show, listening to the encores, listening to the um, colossal classics on Thursday and posting about them and sharing them and being excited about them. And it's, uh, it's thrilling. Uh, to us that you're still out there and you're still listening to the show and you're still enjoying the show. We sure did make a lot of terrific ones. And I also want to thank, of course, the Patreon supporters who've been so generous throughout this and um, since the tragic loss of Gilbert, very, very generous to the show. So thanks. Our heart goes out to them. Um, Our heartfelt thanks. And um, also, I want to welcome any new listeners. Every now and then, we we seem to get messages from people who are just discovering the show eight years in. And uh, so welcome to them. Welcome to the Madhouse. And uh, we hope you enjoy the archive. And uh, uh, what can I say? We're thrilled by the response. I think we got well over 100,000 downloads last month. People are still grooving to what we do and what we put out there and uh we're very happy about it so we'll keep turning them out as long as you keep listening and uh in the meantime you can find us on social media and uh we love to hear from you as always so thanks again from the bottom of our hearts This is Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre. We're here once again at Nutmeg Post with our engineer Frank Verderosa. Thank you, Frankie. Lots of Irish. Hey, can you shut up, please? Sorry. <laughs> Let me give an introduction. <laughs> We don't get a lot of true Renaissance men on this podcast, but we're excited to be joined by one this week. He's a musician, songwriter, record producer, actor, and comedian who's worked with a long list of musical icons, including Cher, Harry Nielsen, Carol King, Celine Dion, Ozzy Osbourne, Joe Walsh, Burt Bacharach, Bon Jovi, and Hanson, to name a few. He co-wrote Aerosmith's Grammy-winning single, Living on the Edge, and produced no less than nine albums for the legendary Ringo Starr. Among his many musical accomplishments... 
He's worked alongside everyone from Andy Griffith to John Candy to Joan Rivers to our former podcast guest, Julie Newmar, for almost <laughs> 20 years, along with siblings Bill and Brett, he was a member of the music and comedy group known as the Hudson Brothers, recording top 40 records and starring in Two CBS variety shows, The Hudson Brothers Show the and The Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show. Welcome a man who says he will continue to write music until he's an accepted member of the Jackson 5. <laughs> because he always wanted to be close to Tito. The multi-talented Mark Hudson. Thank you. What an introduction. Yeah. Hey, okay. we, try. we try. No, but you know what? My life is so cloudy. From all the drugs and humor and, and Joey Heatherton that I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't remember a lot, but Gilbert, you brought all that up. The first thing it reminded me of is I have a small Jackson 5 story. Okay. 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 Go for it, buddy. True story. This okay. is going to be an easy end. Yeah. I, I never shut up. Yeah. So in California, I have a studio at Village Recorder and I find out that Jermaine Jackson is making his first solo album for Motown. He was married to Barry Gordy's daughter. And my brothers and I, we knew the Jacksons from the television series. It was like the Hudson Brothers, the Osmonds, the Jacksons. We knew them all. Tito, Frito, Mohammed, Shecky. We knew the whole family. The whole family. Shecky. Yeah, Shecky Jackson. And so I figured, God, you know, I said my brother was in, in using my studio to write a script. And I said... Jermaine's downstairs making a record. Let's go say hello. Okay, great. So we walk into the studio. Now, the studio protocol, if someone's at the board and they're listening to a song, you always wait in the back. It's like in the middle of a joke. You shut up, and then when a joke's over, you can approach. You wait for the song to be over, you can approach. So we're standing in the back, and there's Jermaine, and there's Tito standing next to him. <laughs> and Tito was sort of the brother that was always in trouble. He'd always be selling toasters or something from his car. <laughs> he was always in trouble. I don't know why, but a sweet guy, sweet kid. So the song is over with, and we're about to go, and all of a sudden, Jermaine goes, all right, Tito, this is going to be the most quiet record Motown ever put out in life, my first record for Barry Gordy. Every time the kick drum goes, boom, I want you to hit the mud. Then unmut, boom, boom, and mud. And Tito goes, yeah, I got you. Unmut, boom, boom, mud, unmut, mud. And I look at my brother, he goes, is he saying mud? He goes, I think he is. He goes, okay, boom, unmut, mud. Boom, boom. He goes, I got it. Mud. Boom, boom. I'm up. <laughs> and I go, that's weird. So we walk forward and go, Jermaine, hey, Mark, Brett. And they hug us. And as I'm hugging Jermaine, I look down at the, at the console, and the mute button had been pressed so much that the E had rubbed off the thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he was hitting the mutt. Good, and then, good place to start. No. And, and, and so from this day forth, every record I've ever made, from Aerosmith to Ozzy Osbourne, we always go, hit the mutt. And the mutt is the mute button because of Jermaine Jackson. I love it. Now we'll start saying it here with That's Frank. It, yeah, just hit the mutt. 
any dealings with the with Michael? No, you know, we knew Michael too. You know, and it's, it's an interesting thing because he was a sweet, lovely, talented guy. You know, I, I think his turmoil was he was like a young boy that wanted to go outside and play. But he was actually singing, and 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 their dad was really keeping it together, like you know, a, a professional father, like the, like moms do with actors. He he never got a chance to be a kid. So when you think Neverland and all that stuff mm-hmm. was really his chance to go, wow, now I get to, I get to play. But nobody more talented ever in 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 my life have I met someone. So you don't think there was any diddling around? No, you know, I don't. No. I mean, I know, in all honesty, I don't. I actually think he was this guy that loved life and he loved children. And every I've never seen him be mean or rude to anybody. And I knew guys on the inside. Kenny Ortega, the director, choreographer. I knew all of these guys. And everybody said that he just was a sweet, sweet Heart. So he was just trying to manufacture a childhood that he never, that, that's, that he never what, that's what I think. And I think all the other stuff, you know, once the, once the industry can get to you, they're all going to point their finger and say that you did this and you said that and you were over there. If you were there and you actually saw Joey in the corner, you don't, don't really know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the mutt. <laughs> see, see this, this already, you pissed me off. Because <laughs> before... The bikes were on. You were telling us I did. stories that this show was created. Yeah, yeah. I understand that, Gilbert, but yeah. as long as people are still alive, yeah. I don't want to yeah, say that. I know, I won't that. say names, but there was shit in yes. them. Yes. We'll do a director's cut. We'll do a director's cut. Rely on celebrities and shit. But we could we I could always do the Diana Ross if you really wanted to know. And and dildos and everything. Well, have him tell the Diana Ross yes, story. Yeah, because we're all big Supremes okay. fans. Oh, who here. isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> It'll take the show right, 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 right into the, the right Start in the off ditch. with the Jackson Five, right into yeah, the Let's yeah. just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> so, but in, and it, I've reached a point in my life now where if I'm remembering everything that truly happened to me, that now that I'm old enough, I'm not afraid to say it, as long as I don't hurt anyone's feelings or hurt myself, then I just am as dangerous as, as anyone wants to be. Hudson Brothers signed to Rocket Records, Elton John's label. Yeah. Bernie sure. Toppin I re- I remember. was our producer. Okay. Now, we had just hit TV, which actually destroyed our record career, but made us instantly famous because of millions of people. Cher used to have a party every Tuesday in Los Angeles at a skating rink. And everyone would show up. Mac Davis, Joan Rivers, Shields and Yarnell, you know, <laughs> Ken wow. Berry. Just, references. Uh, no, but like all, all the seventies humans. Uh, Eric Estrada, you know, all the guacamole, his brother. Captain of Tennille. They all would show up. And they and big roller skating parties and they'd be skating around and stuff. Okay. Now, Elton John had just finished the movie Tommy, where he played the pinball yeah. wizard. And Bally put out a pinball machine with Elton as the pinball wizard. And, it was, and Cher rented a hundred of them. So my brothers and I at this point, once again, young, cute, stuffed pants, ready to go. We could walk into a party in slow motion. You like the right stuff when you see the astronauts? <laughs> yeah. Except we knew how to do it, but in real time. And no one gave a fuck, but we were doing it anyway because we just thought it looked good that we were in slow motion. So we're walking into the party. And, and, and the three of us all at once, we were pretty cute. 
We were like, you know, the Godfather minus <laughs> minus Fredo. And, and we were walking in, and all of a sudden we see this lineup of people and shares going around. Oh, Mark Harrell, Mark Harrell, <laughs> and she's skating by with Mac Davis. All of a sudden, <laughs> like direct, directly in front of us, is Diana Ross, and she has this tight beautiful blue dress onto the floor her afro with little glitter in it her ghetto onion was sticking out it was just she was gorgeous, she was gorgeous. so we're walking and she turns and she looks at me now out of the three brothers my brother bill gorgeous ended up marrying goldie hahn my younger brother brett was the brother on the cover of 16 magazine and yeah, Tiger he was the Beat. teeny bopper yeah, i love yeah, yeah and i was just well endowed and talented <laughs> <laughs> and so, so, <clears throat> so she points at me and goes you and we kind of look around and she's pointing at me and she goes want to come watch me play pinball yeah, you, I couldn't believe it. So we kind of sashay over to where she is. A crowd of people come around, some paparazzi. And the next thing you know, it was so crowded, I get pushed next to her flick hand. So she's <laughs> playing the game, but she's flicking my penis. <laughs> Diana Ross. Diana Ross, yeah. Now, the scary thing is, I didn't move. I wouldn't move. I just was like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> And it didn't feel good. I think she bruised me, but I wasn't going to leave the fact that this icon was... You need the story. She was flicking my beef. But no, but I, I mean, imagine, I would never get that close to her in any other way. She didn't even know that it happened. But my brothers looked down and they saw that, that my inch was growing. Like, oh, oh, oh. Next thing you know, 21 minutes, I, I, I let it happen. Until the pain became so great that I moved away. And from that day forth... Diana Ross, in my diary, flicked my penis for 21 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Is that that's incredible? Gil, I think that happened with you and Margaret Dumont. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, Marie Dressler. Marie Dressler. Yes, oh, God. God. Wow. <laughs> wow. Which, oh, God. which brings us to... Uh, Someone who I hope didn't flick your penis, <laughs> Groucho Marx. No. <laughs> My brothers and I, obviously, growing up, Marx Brothers, Three Stooges, the Ritz Brothers. Sure. It was that whole thing about physical comedy, uh, musical comedy, and that to us was our comedic Beatles. And we were in a, a drugstore with our manager, looking down one of the things, and there standing... And it's amazing to me, too, because you know, so many of the most famous people in the world are never surrounded by an entourage of people rubbing their necks. Or it, He was just there, Groucho Marx, like looking at stuff. And we had to meet him. We had to. And we walk up, and he sees us, and he smiles, but he, he has that sort of cynical cockiness that stayed with him till the day he died. And he goes, yeah, what, what can I do you for? He goes, Hi, we're the Hudson Brothers. He goes, I know, you're that musical aggravation. <laughs> Great. And I can't even believe that's the thing that he ended up saying to us. And there he was, and we talked for a moment, and it was sort of, and, and obviously, you know, my, my great uncle was Ed Wynn. And so I always would play that, whenever I was with around any sort of 
comedic icon, I would always play that card. And of course, he knew him. And then all of a sudden makes him feel safer that we're not stalkers about to kidnap him or anything like that. But he was absolutely wonderful and had not lost his sense of timing, which obviously is the key to any any of it is when to let let it come out. And he knew it then and he was in his 80s or something. I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. The glasses and must he was Groucho. How cool. Now now I heard a story about one of the Hudson brothers <laughs> who was asked to watch the bathroom. Oh, it's Brett's story. Yeah. To to that Brett, Brett Brett tells a story that he was asked to stand guard while Groucho went to oh, the no, bathroom. Oh no, no, he did. He did. Yeah. He, he did. No, that's true. It was not me. Groucho had to drain his inch. And and, and, and and he just said to he picked Brett. He was Brett at a party. Was, yeah, 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 at a party. And he just said because the party Abe Hawk was the manager, and he always would throw these great parties where you you would see Led Zeppelin, and then sitting over there would be Elizabeth Taylor, and then sitting over there would be someone from Mash. I mean, it was not. And Groucho knew Abe Hawk, the manager, and he wanted to go to the bathroom, and he just said you. And, and he didn't really remember us from yeah. the first time we met him, but it was, you, come and stand guard. And my brother Brett got up, stood in front of the door, boom, while Groucho drained it. And, you know, it's kind of a Hudson Brother thing. I did it with Ravi Shankar at George Harrison's house. <laughs> wow. No, you know, we were at George Harrison's house, and we were, it was about to be the, the big concert for him at Albert Hall. George had already passed away, and there was Thanksgiving Day. We were all at the house, and Ravi Shankar was there, and he goes, I need to drain my papa dumb. And so he asked if I would take him. So we went arm in arm in arm and went into George's bathroom, and I stood guard oh, as— Lord. And obviously, at that point in his life, Ravi had a rumbling prostate because it took like a week and a half. <laughs> but it was worth it. You so. guys met everybody. And we'd be remiss since we're talking about parties if we didn't ask you about what you were telling us about outside, the, 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 the Led Zeppelin story. Yeah, yeah, well, my brother and I just got signed to Rocket Records, and we had no money. And we were at Abe Hawk's house. That was Elton John's label. Elton John's label was Rocket yeah, Records. Right. And Elton had just signed us, but we were broke. And the owner of the house said, I'll invite you to my party if you guys could take the wallpaper down in the dining room. <laughs> Wait a minute. You're on the record label? Well, at this yeah. point, you're being asked to take yeah, the wallpaper yeah, down. So we can go to this huge Hollywood party. <laughs> so we take down the wall. We got stuff stuck on our face, but we did it. <laughs> Why not? And there was this party. And we're sitting on the couch. Remember, we were young and green and so impressed by everybody. Jackie D. Shannon shows up. And there she was. Elizabeth Taylor shows up. The most beautiful eyes you could ever look at. Then Elton shows up with his manager, John Reed, in a pink satin suit with a pink afro. And he looks at us and gives us a wave because he had just signed us and moves off into the other room. And we're just like looking around to see who we could see next. Three Italian boys from Oregon. Oh, yeah. It's right. like, what? It's like, Eyes wide open. Yeah, Joey Bag of Donuts. We're, we're like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> right. And then all of a sudden, like the door opens and Led Zeppelin walks in. And if ever, you know, when you can look at someone and they look like a star, these guys walked in and they looked the part, the swagger, the hair, the vest, the, the sort of smell of oud. It was just weird. They walk in, and we were going, Jesus, it's Led Zeppelin. It's Led Zeppelin. And they go to the bar, and they would drink. They wouldn't have drinks like, hey, I'm having my mint julep. 
they would be downing like bottles of whiskey and scotch, but like we would do a 7-Eleven. John Bonham looks down. He sees Elton in the dining room flamboyantly talking to someone. And he and Bonham looks at, at Plant and goes, hey, look, it's the poof, which is British slang for homosexual. And they go, <laughs> they go oh, yeah, yeah. And then Bonham goes, let's set him on fire. And we went, what? He goes, let's set him on fire. And they took out their Bix, put it on high, and went, and huge flames go, and they start walking slowly towards the dining room. And Elton sees them coming out. I don't think they were smiling. And we go, this has got to be a joke. They must know each other. They get closer and closer. And Elton goes, I runs. They chase him. Now it's like the Three Stooges. You see Elton go through a room. Led Zeppelin go through a room. Elton up steps. They go up steps. He ended up jumping in the pool. Elton with his suit and his wig and everything. Just so they wouldn't. And they, and they laughed and they walked out. Incredible. And that to me is going like, there's rock and roll. There it is. There it is. And in the same time, what I hate to interrupt. Okay. No, go ahead. No, no, not, no. The, the, and, and you make know, it easy on us. You sports. know the group Sparks. Yeah. The brother, he kind of had like the bad Hitler mustache with curly hair, and then the other good-looking one. Right. My brothers and I beat them up three times in London when we were when we when we were signed to Rocket Records. There was a place called the Pizza Express where you could go and get like an American pizza. And we were in there sitting down, and we look over, and we see the guy that looks like Charlie Chaplin and the brother, and they're staring at us, and we knew who they were, and went, oh, yeah, there they are. He goes, you think you guys are going to make it? Well, you're not. We're brothers, too, and we're better. And we looked at each other like, what the fuck is, what's up with that? And see, we go, and, and we would go between Gandhi and Gotti, and the Gandhi part was very peace and love, but the Gotti part, it was very Corleone. So we look at him again, and the one with the little Hitler mustache gives us the finger. And that was it. We walk over to the table, and we look at him. And because our timing was so great, we all waited for the right move. And then in one motion, it was their heads going boing, boing, boing against the pizza, and we beat them up. I haven't thought about—that's a hell of a story. I haven't thought about sparks in years. Well, now you know. They got sparks out of us, I'll tell you. Bastards. Now, you had, like, an early manager. Mr. Bailey. I guess so. Yeah, and, and that was... <laughs> the Mr. Bailey story was kind of weird because he was this real large, sort of ugly man, father of three ugly children, and it was just... <laughs> he was this horrible guy. But something about him was... See, this won't work on the radio, but he was a DSer. He was a dick spotter. And this this won't translate over the air, uh-huh. but I'm going to look at Gilbert now. Like, pretend Gilbert's me and you're my brother, Brett. Okay. And you won't see this at home, but you'll understand. Yeah. Okay. He, he would go, all right, boys, we're going on stage at eight. He's, he's looking. He's <laughs> like a Harpo Gookie. He's, yeah, he's making the Harpo face with his tongue sticking out. To his and penis. And he's staring directly at my dick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And the same thing back, and that's what he was, and that's what he was known for those, as. For those people who, who are blind, who are visually impaired. <laughs> okay, so the, I mean, the weird part about it was, we, we never knew. Nothing about him seemed that it was anything scary. 
And then one, and, and then because I was not the attractive brother either. You know, the other brothers had to say, I was, you know, Diana Ross liked me. Outside of that, it was downhill. And what, I used to love comic books. I'd read, the, you know, The Flash and Batman. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there reading away. And all of a sudden, one, I mean, and we always had connecting rooms because the brothers n- never really were apart. It just was that Italian thing we always were watching out. Remind me to tell you about Meryl Osmond's teeth. Okay. As soon as I'm done with this. <laughs> From the Osmond brothers. Yes, which okay. I still have. Okay. I don't think we can cover this in one show. No, you guys I don't are. think so. Okay, so <laughs> so I'm reading the comic, and all of a sudden, you know, that, that sort of sixth sense that an Italian has, I felt that someone was watching me. <laughs> and I slowly look over my comic book, which I'm doing now in the room, which you can't see, and then I see that face. Mr. Bailey, staring. Okay. Can I tell the audience, okay. look at, on the internet for the Harpo Googie, Googie the Googie face. <laughs> the Googie face. Yeah. And it's the Harpo Googie face. Googie, with but a K. Looking, <laughs> Googie, Googie, yeah, because yeah, he was the cigar roll. That's right. Yes, that's right. And, and Harpo, at, imagine that face staring directly <laughs> at your car. A lascivious, a more lascivious yeah, Harpo yes. Googie. Yes, yes. not leering. the Harpo we know and love. No, a leering. It's sort of the other. A predatory <laughs> Harpo. <laughs> We're taking. <laughs> Dara is taking a picture, and we will post it. <laughs> oh, oh God! <laughs> You're not seeing After the visuals all, that we're doing now. So, he so was, anyway, so, he was, so there he was, and 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 because I was the the least attractive brother, it, it threw me like, why is Mr. Bailey? DSing me. And then he he dove on me. And he was like big. Dove on me like, and I screamed, ah, Bill Brett. And then run in the room, grabbed my feet, and pulled me out from under Mr. Bailey. And then we physically threatened him like death. And that was the the beginning of us knowing what and look, he could have been whatever he wanted to be was okay with me, but just not with me or my brothers. Was this the same manager when you guys were still, before you were the Hudson brothers, you were yeah. the New Yorkers? Yeah, the New Yorkers. He was the manager. And he was the manager. Yeah, he, he, was is the he the guy that absconded with the with the, he, with the money? Yeah, that, he took everything. Yeah. He took right. everything. And he, least, it doesn't seem like. <laughs> <laughs> He's someone untrustworthy. <laughs> no, he, well, yeah, but you know what? Yeah, but Gilbert, you know, the scary thing. The scary I thing, would trust him with me, my safety. Me too. <laughs> No, but the weird thing the is, he knows dragging you across the room by your feet. <laughs> yeah, but you know, the early days, if you watch vinyl now and on the, the TV show, we would sign anything if someone liked us. The, the early things of rock and roll, it's like, they really want me. They really want me. And so they'll go out of your way to say, okay. Yeah, he really wanted oh, you. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah I did. <laughs> well, I just think he wanted me because maybe the other two rejected him. <laughs> so he was their choice. <laughs> You guys had some success. You were the nope. New Yorkers. You had a couple of records. You we had did. Mr. Kirby. We did. And right. and we also, uh, we we were on a, in those days in the 60s, the huge concerts, the headliner was Herman's Hermits. Yeah, I Mrs. saw Brett Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. Yeah, sure. Peter Noon's still around. Yeah, I, I know him and we're buddies now. Under him was The Who. In other words, The Who weren't the headliner. Herman's Hermits was the headliner. The Who... The Seeds, the Blues Magoos, and way, way down on the list, like the third band from the bottom, was us, the New Yorkers, because we had regional hits. 
We thought it would be great it, in homage to Herman if we did a Herman and the Hermits medley, which would be like me going on stage, Gilbert, and telling all of your jokes before you get there. <laughs> But I'm thinking in my head that I'm doing it in honor for you, that you're going to love me. Oh, you must really like me. We virtually stole his act. Wow. And we got fired that night. But it followed us. Even after we became the Hudson Brothers and we were famous, we got thrown off a tour from Seals and Crofts because we introduced them as Arts and Crafts. Because <laughs> we didn't care. You know, it was just a strange sense of humor. Here you are, Diamond Girl. Here they are. Arts, Arts and Crafts. And crafts. That was it. Summer breeze. We were frisbeed <laughs> off that fucking tour. In you guys t- and brought Buffalo Springfield. You tour. You toured yeah, with and Buffalo the Supremes and everybody. All that stuff. Everybody. And, and imagine that full circle with Diana. Yeah. There she was as a Supreme, not knowing that I existed. Next thing you know, penis flick. So I'm trying to get the the chronology of this, Mark. You went. You're on a couple of record labels. Yeah. And then finally, you make it to to Elton's new label, Rocket. I remember Kiki D being yeah. being signed to Rocket yeah, Records. Yeah, I got now. the music like in me. Flashback, don't, yeah, and uh, and uh, Neil Sedaka and Neil Sedaka's come back. my heart. Yeah, yeah. Neil Sedaka's yeah. comeback record. Sedaka's back. Yeah. And so, when does uh, I'm just trying to I'm trying to move gradually through this? And when when does was so you are a star was before so the you TV are a star, show? So you yeah, it was, and so you are a star was Casablanca, which was Neil Bogart. Uh huh. And in that in the early seventies, the accent Kiss, Donna Summer, Parliament. The Hudson Brothers. And we were like the first band on that thing. And that was just like what you think. Satin jackets, cocaine. It was it was all of that kind of stuff. And So You Are a Star, when, when Bill like was having a crush on Goldie, he was like so over the moon about it that I, you know, me and my own John Lennon-ness, I, I wrote this, So You Are a Star. We happen to have a guitar handy. Well, it's, a, it's a pretend one. but That's okay. So you are a star, okay. Nobody knows you like I do. You've got to love only me. Very beatly. you got to feel only me. Nobody knows you. Nobody shows you the way that I do. Very beatily. Neil Bogart flipped for it and said, that's great. Let's make it a single. And it was the demo. So it wasn't really like we went in like professionals. It was when I wrote the song, we went into the studio one night and put it down and it became a top 20 record. Now, the big joke is cut to 30 years later. I'm producing Ringo and we're mixing his album uh, Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd on his houseboat. And I'm back there at the piano, and so you are a star. And Ringo goes, hey, Mark, that's very beautifully. And I went, yeah, I know, that's what all the reviews said. Like, Rolling Stones said the best kinetic pop since the Beatles, and this huge compliment. And he goes, let's do it for your mom. So I have a version now that's on my solo album of me doing So You Are a Star with Ringo Starr. That's great. Playing the drums when it was Beatle-influenced. I mean, it goes to show you how the circle goes. You know, it's like... You were trying to sound like John? No, you know oh. what? It's interesting because Ringo got mad at me once. I was singing background on one of his records. He goes, Mark, stop sounding like John, you bastard. I said, I can't. I'm just sounding like me. The fact <laughs> that it, it is, I'm, I'm sorry. So 
I keep singing because it's the only thing I know. Either I go, when I sing high, it's more McCartney. When I'm lower, it's more Lennon. It's just my influence and what I am. So there was. So you are a star. And yeah. when was Rendezvous? Rendezvous was afterwards. Okay. At that point, we were on Rocket Records and we were drunk with members of the Beach Boys, Carl Wilson and Bruce Johnson at Shea Jays, this bar where pirates would go and sawdust on the floor and people's teeth. It was a weird place. And we were right. And all of a sudden I said, I love the word rendezvous. I don't know how to make it into a song. Now, now this was the one, and I haven't heard this for years, but that was, I want to take you on a <laughs> rendezvous. That's the one. Oh, rendezvous. Yes. Rendezvous. Rendezvous. Why don't you take me on a rendezvous? <laughs> Written, yes. written by Bruce Johnson, who wrote Johnson. I, write, I Write the Songs. Just to hear your version. I don't <laughs> you, maybe, maybe we'll have you do a duet. If I do the remake, you're in. <laughs> well, no, no, but you know, but, we performed with the Beach Boys, yeah, Gilbert. But, but you know what the weird thing was? They were great guys. And when we, when we, did, we went in that night drunk into the studio and cut the song right there. Now, him another top 20 hit for us. But the bigger thing, when we connected to one of the Russian satellites, CNN played Rendezvous as that song oh, that's when cool. they connected. And that's when it makes a difference to me, that kind of stuff. That's cool. Of course, great. Gilbert, you remember that song. <laughs> sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm expected to sing on every oh, on every, every episode. Yeah. Yeah. You've done great. You've done great. <laughs> we'll Gilbert. tell you later the songs that he pulls out of thin air, Mark. So uh, at what point, you got a couple of hits now. And at what point does, does uh, is it Chris Beard and Alan Bly who see you guys and yeah. decide these guys need a TV in show? In fact, you know, they saw us at that party when Led Zeppelin tried With to Chasing turn. Elton. Yeah, and the guy sat down next to me, and I was just talking to him like we we're talking. And he went, wow, you, you're, you're really, really funny. And my brother Brett sat down, and he went, who's that? And I went, it's my brother. And then, we, more funny, my brother Bill, who had just read the Howard Hughes book, that was written by his accountant about how to be a zillionaire. And my brother Bill was sort of obsessed with that. And he sat down and started quoting the book. Chris Beard goes, you guys are brothers. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. We're signed to Elton and the guy in the pool. And he goes, I produce Sonny and Cher. I want you to come down and meet my partner. Now, we had never done television in our life. And we only had one suit. We had a blue velvet suit <laughs> and we would take turns one brother would wear the pants one the coat one the vest and we'd always play like gin to see who got stuck with just the vest and so we did that went down there met his partner his partner alan bly alan bly yeah they, a, and they and chris beard went back to laughing no no i know yeah, it's mother's brothers yeah, yeah all of that yeah and the worst part about it was they asked us to do a screen test and, and we didn't know anything about camera work at all so we're in front of the camera, and you know, the way TV was, if you remember, the 70s variety, they'd go like, uh, did you hear about the cross-eyed teacher that got fired? And then you'd have to look to camera three and go, he couldn't control his pupils. So you'd always have camera cuts that you'd have to make. We knew nothing. We'd look this way, and the camera would shoot the back of our head. We started arguing. As soon as we started arguing, we did it in our brotherly, funny way. And when they saw that, that's when they went, there it is. And who was the executive that gave you guys uh, the uh, summer uh, Freddie Silverman. How about that, Gil? Oh, God. <laughs> Freddie, Freddie Silverman. And, and it's funny. If you look up, anyone at home looks up the Hudson Brothers, even by 70 standards. <laughs> <laughs> I know. 
I know. Yeah. And yet, you it see, has but, its moments. No, but that, you know, that was the part. That was the part that was sickening. Yeah, is the fact that you know. At that point, we were already on the road. Yes. So we knew when an audience wasn't working, we knew how to make them laugh. But then television tried to make it like, well, golly, here's a song for our mom. And we were like rock and roll musicians. Straightened our hair, capped our, piece, our teeth, stuffed our pants, put us in Bob Mackie suits. <laughs> right. And Bob Mackie. And, and we're kind of going, what the fuck is going on? But all of a sudden, we'd walk out into the street and we were just barraged. With it was like immediate everything, but it it cross collateralized our musical career because we had just started making the music really make sense because they had busted the Partridge Family for not being real, they'd busted the Monkees for not being real, but we were real. We just got thrown in the other way in the television, so it canceled itself yeah. out. I mean, and that's why by the time I ended up writing Living on the Edge was sort of my big payback. That was sort of my fuck you. I was talented even then, and you guys didn't know it. Now, Donny Osmond always was angry at the fact that he was <laughs> like, you know, did the Donny and Marie show, and he felt right. it hurt him. Just saw him two days yeah. ago. Yeah. Said he wants to do the podcast, by the way. Oh, yes. Not, great. To, not to interrupt. Thanks and for he's telling a good, me And he's now. a good kid, too. <laughs> yeah. You tell I wasn't going to tell you on no, the show. Yeah. No, he's a great guy. I used to work for him. <laughs> he is a good I, guy. I wrote a talk show for him but years that, ago. But that leads me into my Osmond yeah. story. Now... <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm telling you, I can't, I'm sorry, it's my fucking life. Okay, so we were with Bernie Toppin living in his place, and we needed a place in L.A. because we were about to start making the record. Now remember, we kind of knew the Jacksons, the Osmonds, that family thing was around. So the Osmond family rented us their three-story apartment right next to the Mormon Tabernacle Church in Los Angeles. <laughs> now, I know it sounds this weird. It's already good. No, it, 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 yeah, but it gets better. <laughs> it, and, and my brother Brett, he was the youngest brother, and he had a crush on Marie. I'm sure he was like stabbing his bacon, thinking about her every other night. <laughs> stabbing his bacon. Yes. And, okay. and, <laughs> and, 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 the, and when we were, before we moved there, we were in our other apartment, and they would always show up in skinny ties trying to convert us into Mormonism. And we would throw grapes at them from our window. I know it's. I, I want to beg for forgiveness <laughs> now. We just would throw grapes. The at, Hudson brothers are flinging grapes out a window at the Osmond we brothers. Did, we, we, we just get out of here. You got a scoop. Merle, Sterl, Shecky, whatever they would. Get out of here. Zeppo. You Mormon. Yeah, Zeppo. Come on. But because our we, my brothers and I had this sort of honor among thieves, you know, if one brother really liked a girl, the other two would politely back off. It was really sort of a beautiful thing. Brett loved Marie. Okay. So we rent their three-story apartment. It's going to be the three of us and Bernie Toppin and his wife, Maxine. We're going to come and stay there, too, when they were— the Tiny Dancer. Yeah, Tiny Dancer. So Bill, older brother, he was like the older brother, and he always sounded like Clint Eastwood— you know, I get the first pick of the rooms because I'm the older brother. What? <laughs> he was in Alan's room, the oldest Osmond brother. He was in the basement, this big, oak, sunken, dark room that Alan had. Marie was on the third floor in a pink canopy bed, and Brett stayed there stripping his wire, thinking of Marie <laughs> whenever, 
Whenever he could. He doesn't run out of metaphors. I love it. Whenever he, whenever he could. So he was stabbing his bacon, bacon and, and stripping, stripping his, his wire. wire. Right. I'll take it to Marie. And Bill was staying in Alan's room, the big room of Alan. <laughs> now, I was going through sort of a Goldilocks period, and I couldn't get comfortable. I tried Alan's bed. I, w- I, tried, you know, I was trying all the beds of the other Osmonds, and I couldn't find one. <laughs> In the living room, there was a painting. What do they call it? A Murphy bed? Yeah. And yeah, the Murphy bed, bed came out of the wall, and it was right where the TV was, right around the shag carpet into the kitchen. I thought, this is great. That Brett could buff his bishop. Bill would be downstairs. I could go get some coffee. I could watch. Wait, wait, wait. What was that one? <laughs> he buffed his bishop. He buffed his bishop? Yeah. Okay. okay. And, All right. And I'd be happy. So I found my bed. Now, and, and this, can't, this can't be taken wrong, but my family, Italian, and as you know, there's, there's a lot of ethnic families that are very, very bigoted. They are. <laughs> I got uncles. Yeah. You know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. And and I, and I don't understand this, but most of my life, my Italian family, we had so many friends that were black and we loved them. Whatever. <laughs> but my family, being this Guinea Italian thing, had this sort of thing. And they always thought that we were going to be kidnapped by Nevitas, which is black people mm-hmm. and we didn't know why he's like what are you talking about my best friends we're playing music with them no no they're coming to get okay <laughs> so we had this thing ingrained in us since we were toddlers about black people taking us they never said where they just were taking. black people are gonna kidnap and you. just take us <laughs> okay and just take us they never said where they were gonna kill us they were just taking us <laughs> <laughs> and it ended up like that okay <laughs> So, one night, we, we say goodnight to each other. I'm, I go to bed. I'm sleeping. Morning comes. I go to get out of bed. I take one step out, and this excruciating pain shoots through my foot like I'm being stabbed. I scream. And I hear my brothers from each room go, and they grab equipment thinking that I was being taken. Running up the steps, down the steps, to protect me from this thing that I don't know what it is. They thought black people were were kidnapping kidnapping me. In the Osman house? In the Osman house. (laughs) That's what they thought. I don't know. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I know. I know. And so I'm on the bed going, oh, and Bill goes, what's the matter? And he has a bat, and Brother Brett has a spoon, whatever they were. And they were going the Negroes? Oh, no, they they were going, they were just going to go, who's ever coming to get you, they got to go through us. But we never knew what it, see, the thing is, we never knew what it meant. (laughs) Ever. Okay. So I go, oh, God, my foot. And my brother Bill gets on his older brother. What's the matter, Mark? Let me look. And lifts up my foot and stuck in my foot were Merrill's teeth. Merrill Osmond's retainer. All of the wires <laughs> with some choppers were stuck in the ball of my foot. <laughs> yes. In fact, I might even have a picture of it here, which I will share with you guys. Okay. I'll have to find it. But I was like, oh! And he went like, oh, and he, he pulled out the teeth, and on the thing it says, Merrill's retainer, and because of the shag carpet, he must have lost him one night when he was stabbing his bacon. I don't really know. And 
I had his, his teeth stuck in my foot. You stepped on Osmond Brothers' teeth uh, uh, in the middle uh, of the night. Yes, and, and then worse than that, on the show, we used to do the Mike Douglas show because Mike Douglas loved us. Yeah. And we would co-host and we would always go to Philadelphia. And, da, da, da. and one day, we're co-hosting the show and Donnie and Marie were the guests. And Brett was just like, you know, he had like tent pants because Marie was going to be close to him. <laughs> And I had Meryl's, Meryl's teeth. And I like me. that tent pants. Yes, yes, right. I had Meryl's teeth. And we're doing the show. And, well, Brett, you're still you're here, you're here with Marie. And there was that kibitz of, oh, Marie and Brett, oh, Marie and Brett. And he goes, Mark, what's going on? And I said, well, not much, but I, I brought Meryl's teeth. And my brother's <laughs> looking at me like, no, don't do it. Don't, don't do it. And in my pocket, I pull out Meryl's choppers. And show them on the Mike Douglas show. <laughs> and I still have them till this day, which I will share with you guys when we're finished. You must. I didn't mean to digress. That's so all right. No, that's no. all right. I Believe hope, me. No. I hope Donnie will but... still do the show. <laughs> He'll do it. He's great. We've seen it. <laughs> He'll do it. He's great. <laughs> Let's just go back quickly to, okay, them, to the Hudson Brothers. <laughs> no, I just, I just wanted to. Gilbert and I watched the show. And you made an interesting point. Yeah. That they were, Chris Beard and Alan Bly really pushed you guys to be extra wacky on the show. And even though I was 11 years old, I, I always had a feeling these guys are more irreverent than this. We were so much more irreverent. You could tell. And, and, and you know, it's, it's really weird because uh, John Lennon actually watched our Saturday morning show. And he used to call us the kings of Saturday morning, which I thought was really, really the, interesting. The razzle dazzle. Because he loved. Because we were getting away with stuff. We would do stuff that you have to go back and look at. Not unusual to be hung like a dinosaur. It's really not unusual. <laughs> no one knew. You we said that on the Razzle Dazzle oh, show? yeah. <laughs> we also did, uh, Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. I need some uppers. We were doing stuff that nobody knew. And we'd have our hands around a big... We were doing stuff... Uh, those those came out on DVD. They came out yeah, on yeah, a box Yeah, yeah, which we have nothing to do with, by right. the way. I wonder the, if that stuff's still the, intact. The ownership of that, you know, when in the old days you signed to CBS, it wasn't like you got residuals or anything. But we were so much more than that, and that was our biggest struggle, was to try to make some of that happen when we weren't allowed to be that. And and, and be taken seriously and, as musicians. And, yeah, you're right. And, yeah. Be, and because they were busting all the guys for not being real... They said we weren't real, but in fact, we were real, just doing very mediocre to bad comedy uh-huh. on television with Andy Griffith and Danny Thomas. So you confirm the Danny Thomas Well, no, legend. I make room for daddy. It's all I know. <laughs> the Andy Griffith clip is online with you guys. Oh, great. But I don't think the Danny Thomas no. clip. And, and I just want you to know that and we have discussed, before we ever met you, before mm. Jackie Martling said, you guys should talk to Mark Hudson. Yeah. We, we have discussed Rod Hull and his emu oh, on this be, show. Now, he, yes. he was amazing. Now, describe the oh, Okay. He was an Australian man. <laughs> a weird guy. A weir- and, and strange. And, and the, story, the story behind it's weird, too. And he had, like, a safari jacket with a fake arm, and his arm was up an emu's face and neck, and the emu body was attached to the thing. So he never let any of us know what the bird was going to do. Even though we knew what the comedy bit was, we never knew who he was going to attack, when or where. And I'm telling you, not being dramatic, violently clutched your head and choked. Like, really, it wasn't like, oh, we're doing slapstick. He was 
beating the shit out of us with the bird. But we loved him. And we, we, at that point, you know, you're younger and you can take pratfalls. Sure. We were looking forward to see, what's he going to do this time? And it was funnier than could be. Yeah, I urge our listeners to check out if you can find anything. Yeah, Rod, Rod Hull, Hull and his emu. And his emu. And also, we point out that, that Bob Einstein was a writer on that Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, Cos Johnson. Yeah. All of them. Uh, Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Guys? Yeah, all of them. Yeah. All of those young guys were doing it then. Now, now, so it would always break into a fight. The emu no matter what. would go crazy. Right, right, right. Now, and, and what happened to Hull? Well, here's what one day. We had finished doing a bit, and he'd beaten us up and knocked us over stuff, and it was time for lunch, and we, we walked walking toward our dressing room, and we hear Rod going, you fucking bastard, I told you, and he's like screaming, like I thought he was like yelling at his agent. As we slowly pass it through the door, the emu, limp, was in a chair, and Rod Hall is yelling at the bird. <laughs> you fucking bastard. He's yelling a at, puppet bird. at the bird, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Pup, but without his arm in it. This is beyond Twilight. No, yes, he, he really is. He's yelling at the bird, and we looked at it and did one of those Macaulay Culkin, yeah, 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 boom, and got the hell out because he really believed. Maybe that you know what? I think that's probably why it was so incredible, is because he actually really did believe that it was the real thing. He thought it was a real emu. Yep. And and it was really attacking yep. him. And you know what? A lot of great comedy is like that way anyway, if you actually break it down. I did this show called Offshore Television, where I was a guy that broke through the yeah, airways. Yeah, the thing with John Candy. With John and Candy the, yeah, and all sure, these great people sure. in it. I, I wrote a, a bit called Battle of the Islands between Gilligan and Hervé Villachez that I thought was going to be really funny. And nobody got and it. And Bob Denver was on it. Yeah, Bob Denver yes, and Hervé. And Bob Denver sitting at the beach and he goes, a three-hour tour. Yeah, I've been here for 27 years. What a tour. Then you hear, this is my island. It is not your island. And he looks over <laughs> and it's fucking Hervé in the white suit. And they get into an argument over whose island it is. Now, I'm thinking this is comedy. And this is where I'm screwed up. I'm thinking this is comedy gold. The big payoff was you see a, a, a plane in the sky go, and a voice going, I think I found a survivor. It's a guy in a red T-shirt holding on to a white lunchbox. The, the white lunchbox was Hervé, but it was vapor. Like, no crickets. No one thought, no one got it at all. Unbelievable. Nobody. And the show, obviously. I remember the show. It was, but it was out How there. did this guy Hull die? He, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how he died. He died rather young. Yeah, I, I, think. I think I think so. Maybe sixty, uh, sixty-three or something. I'm yeah. gonna have to research it. Give a little, uh, give give Mark a little Herbie Villachez. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, come on! First, can, <laughs> we'll look up if, Rod Hall. Can our research team look up the death of Rod Hall? Paul's working on it. Yeah, he okay. was very, very, very bring, funny man. Bring, give Mark a flashback. Yeah, give me one. Okay. That's good. Did you hear the story about when he when he actually committed suicide? Do you know that one? Uh, yeah. 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 Well, mean- I, I heard his insides were normal size uh, insides. Yeah. But his rib, his skeleton and body were tiny. So he had, you know, normal sized organs like lungs and heart and liver. And, Just in a- and it was all push. He was in constant pain. God, is that why he did it? Because uh, I had heard yeah. a story that he actually, you know, took a gun and he missed. 
I'd heard that too. And did you hear that they heard him shouting, the pain, the pain? <laughs> no, I, said, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Mrs. Villachez. Oh, God. They're egging oh, me on. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> so what happened? I'm just, oh, wait. I go think, ahead. Wait, I think somebody's we coming in. We have some information on Rod Hull. Like a Rod Hull. Is that what we're looking for? That's the guy. Yeah, yeah, Rod yes, Hull and his yes. emu. The emu's still with us. Oh, okay. Gilbert Let is putting see. on his glasses yes. to determine the fate of Rod Hull. Okay. On, <laughs> Thank you, Paul. On the 17th of March, 1999, Hull, Tomorrow. Hull, wow. Hull climbed onto the roof of his house in Winchester near Rye to adjust his television aerial during no. the second leg of the Champions League quarter final football match between International and Manchester United at the Stan Zero. In an attempt to improve reception, (laughs) he slipped from the roof and fell through the adjoining greenhouse. The 63-year-old entertainer suffered severe skull fracture and chest injuries. He was pronounced dead on arrival at Conquest Hospital in Hastings. Following an inquest, the East Sussex coroner, Alan Craze, recorded a verdict of accidental death. Wow. Whoa. I was not expecting that one. <laughs> I I uh, wouldn't I wouldn't expect any other death from him. <laughs> definitely not, definitely not. Wow, wow. You know what though? Just with you reading that, Gilbert, I think you could do a series of children books <laughs> about <laughs> celebrity <laughs> tragic celebrity deaths. That, 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 no, that would be great. <laughs> as told to as, as told to toddlers. As told to. How did Captain, how did Captain Kangaroo? <laughs> And I got a Captain Kangaroo story. Oh, well, I saw a picture of you with Captain you, you, Kangaroo. You did. Yeah. Okay. Hit us. Am I talking too much? Oh, I can no, no, it. no. That's Please. the show of okay, stories. So we're, my brothers and I loved doing bad TV on purpose. <laughs> we really had no... It, it was our career, but we really had no reverence. If everyone would have known us for what we really were like, we would have been the Marx Brothers. It really was that irreverent. We, we'd always do... Bad television shows, like we did the Brady Bunch variety show. Yep. But we knew we did stuff that was bad on purpose. Oh, <laughs> the yeah. Joe, the Joe Franklin show, whenever he would have us on. You did the Joe Franklin oh, show. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he did this oh, show. Yeah. Oh, did he yeah, really? Yeah. We, we just wanted to do it because of uh, he was like a dead guy talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Sorry, Poor Joe. Ch- we love you, Joe. And we wanted to do Captain Kangaroo. I mean, we all grew up. Captain Kangaroo. Who wouldn't want to do Captain Kangaroo? And at that point, the Muppets had already brought on, you know, Sylvester Stallone and Liza Minnelli and all these big stars started doing the Muppets. So the captain started to follow suit with that. He asked the Hudson Brothers to be on the show. And we went, yeah, you kidding? They send us a script with the captain. It was, it was great. And he signed our scripts. And there he was. And and he was and he had that voice, you know, the captain's voice was and we grew up with him. So we walk on the set and there's the clock and there's the Indian guy. 
Now, at this point, though, Mr. Green Jeans had gone south. He, <laughs> he could already he had he had his own Easter egg hunt. He didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know what was going on. <laughs> At this point, <laughs> he was he was in trouble. Like you know, uh-huh. they, so the and I'll I'll get to him in a second. <laughs> but the, the idea was remember little bunny, the little stuffed sure. bunny. Yeah, bunny goes missing, and the captain goes, "Well, bunny's gone missing. I think I'll call the 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 uh, cap the, the detectives." Day, holiday, and Christmas Day, and we always would do the thing from the Three Stooges, and we'd show up looking like detectives. And we'd walk around the whole place asking the clock and to, about looking for Bunny. And there was the captain with the white wig and the <laughs> military sort of hat with the buttons and that beautiful voice. And it was really like mind-boggling, right? <laughs> walk up to Mr. Green Jeans, and he's supposed to say, Mr. Green Jeans, have, have you seen the Bunny? And he goes, no, boys. The last time she was over there. So, Gilbert, you be me and say, Mr. Green Jeans, have you seen the the bunny. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, Mr. Green Jeans, have you seen the bunny? Cleveland. <laughs> and and we, looked at, we looked around like, what? What? Okay, ask one more question. And remember, we were good at ad-libbing. So we, when he was like, no, I don't think she's in Cleveland. Uh, I, I, I think she's somewhere here. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Okay, uh, we don't think he uh, he's in Cleveland. We think he may be here. Macaroni and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> and it was completely just non sequitur. Uh-huh. And so they walked up and said, Mr. Green Jeans, just point. Yeah, Thursday. I need point. But that was like a first shocking thing to us because <laughs> Mr. Green Jeans was always this sort of like, the guy that would be in a painting, like he was just a, but he just was not with us anymore. Okay. Wow. So we do the whole show. <laughs> we actually find the bunny. Everything is good in, in kind of kangaroo land. And as you know, in New York City, because of nothing is spread out, you know, the stage would be on, on the fourth floor. Makeup would be on the fifth floor. Costume six, dressing room. You go up and down to get to where you are. We meet. The bunny, and she was a NYU student, cute girl, and great. We get and we go, Captain. Will you, you know, can we take a picture? And in fact, in my studio, I still have my picture of Mr. Green Jeans, and all he said was, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> he wrote it. It's on my wall, and and the captain, <laughs> and, the ca- <laughs> and the captain, there he he did it too. So he goes. Boys, why don't we, you know, come up to the dressing room and let's have a cup of coffee and just talk about things. Okay, Captain. Now, remember, my brothers and I grew up without a father. So, you know, he left us when I was like five and a half years old. So all of the TV dads, Mr. Brady, another DSer, uh, all these guys, <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. They, they all were our dads. Robert Young, they were all to us. That was like... Who wouldn't want a dad like Mr. Cleaver? Right. Right? And it was the captain. Okay. So we get in the elevator. Bung! He like presses the 11th floor and the door closes. And all of a sudden he goes, I have a fucking headache. And that was the first sort of captain. Puts his hand on his wig and goes, Aah! 
<laughs> takes off his wig, and we're going like, no, no. Captain unbuttons his thing, and, and his girdle goes boing, and out comes his stomach. And then he goes, you boys see the tits on Miss Kitty? No, no, no. <laughs> we no, Miss Bunny. No, Captain. Captain. <laughs> it was everything you didn't want, and there he was. Captain Kangaroo. The hair of the tummy. This is disheartening. The, the tits on the bunny. No. <laughs> the tits on the bunny. <laughs> on the bunny. Provocation, oh, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and you know what's really weird? The show's he, taking an ugly turn. No, but yeah. he, he, hasn't, no, he didn't do anything that crossed any line. Right. He <laughs> took off his wig and his girdle, and he just made a comment like any guy would. Of course. The boobies on the bunny. It's just a, not from the captain. Please. No. And Mr. Green Jeans was kind of painful, too. <laughs> We didn't want to like make fun of him or anything. It just was sort of like so non sequitur. He, he was wow. So we we could talk a lot about the Hudson Brothers show, and we'll do it another time. We we'll can. Do the next no, time. Chucky, Chucky Margolis, which I loved as a kid, and all of that stuff. But yeah. What, what happened after you did the you did the the five summer replacement shows? Do yeah. I have this right? Yeah. And, and then and you did the Razzle Dazzle show. The audience who aren't old enough to remember, right? It was very popular to oh, have yeah. summer replacement shows. Yes, right. it was like uh, Tony Orlando, yeah, uh, sure. uh, Bobby Gentry, Starland I mean, Vocal Band, yeah, had yes. one with David Letterman. It, it, on. There would be right. like shows that were popular, yep. and during the summer they'd go on vacation, and they would have a, a replacement show. And we yep. were, and we were at that point, we were already regulars on the Sunny and Chair show. With Bobby Van and and oh, uh, and uh, Freeman King. Murray Freeman King, who, yeah. by the way, who, who admittedly was the only black man that had no rhythm. <laughs> no, he virtually would say like, "Yo, I don't sing, I don't dance." Oh, come on! And like, and he he clapped on the one and three. I worked a good job in the city. No. You can't do that. Uh, we lost Freeman. Freeman. No, no, did we? Freeman passed, and Billy Van. Oh, Billy Van, yeah. 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 yeah, Billy Van also passed. I did a lot of research wow. on these guys. Wow. But Murray Langston, the unknown comic, still He's, with us. I still, and, and I'm still on Facebook. I'm still in touch with. Yeah. with we got to have him with on. Murray. Very funny. The unknown comic. Yeah. yeah. So what happened? And then you did the Razzle Dazzle show right. on Saturday morning, and then what? Everything. Right. The, the TV kind of stopped in '74. No, it stopped. It stopped for a little bit because we still started. We started playing. Okay. Every place, and then we st- and then once Vegas happened, we were still so horribly irreverent. That we would last only for a period of time, and then get fired. Which I can actually tell you a uh, who's the one that married David Frost, Diana Carroll. Oh yeah, Diane Carroll. Yeah, we were we we opened for her. At this point, we were drunk and bored, and 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 all the all the band members in at they were all like Italian guys with hair on their nose, in, 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 on their nose, and. And we would sit there and we do, you know, we do our set, da, 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 and, and it just was. And she'd always come out being so professional that she was great, and and like we can never get ourselves to be professional like real professionals. Like you know, midnight and the kittens are sleeping, and they're staring at a spot in the sky where there's no audience. I didn't get that. That was like bad performing <laughs> to me. So <clears throat> she used to do a medley on rain. She was rain. Rain. Strange, isn't it? Like raining tears. And she did this whole speech. Sings a song 
raindrops keep falling on this head. And she does an entire everything, right? And she goes, uh, rainy days and Mondays, always get me and tinsel rain behind her. And she'd slowly sit on her stool and go, down. And the crowd would go crazy. And, and, wow. and we're watching and go, Star for entertainment. what the hell? What is this? What is this? So, one night, we're fucked up. And we go, let's have some fun with Diana Gillis. And we're thinking that, that we're always going to be forgiven. Like, it's like us with each other. No matter what we would do, it's all for the good of the laugh and the fun. Yeah. It was not really like that in real life. <laughs> so, so <clears throat> my brother Brett gets a whoopee cushion, <laughs> takes her stool, opens it, and retacks it. And she comes out with opening song, the band, bop, 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 bop. She goes, how about those zany Hudson brothers? Aren't they something? Oh, the sharks have. Bow. Goes into Mac the Knife. And then she goes... Take it, guys. And my brothers and I paid $100 to three guys in the band, and we stood up and don't play horns. Horns. And she's with her back looking at us like, you fucking assholes. And she goes, aren't they zany? And we run off, knowing that she's pissed. Okay. So she's thinking that that was the only bit. The, the Monday song wasn't till the end. So... And we knew all that. See, that's, that's, if, if there would have been a reality show, if they would have followed us then, we would have been the mark because it was our real life. So it gets to that, you know, how about the rain? Sometimes it's good. It feeds the plants. Sometimes it takes care of your broken heart. Raindrops keep falling on this head. And the crowd's really into it like this. Gets all the way to the end, and the three of us are the side of the stage waiting. And she's standing up. And she goes, rainy days and Mondays, always, always cried, gets me down. She sits and goes, and blows an air biscuit, and she jumps back up, and she looks at it, and she goes, I'll tear your fucking hearts out. And she ran after us. And, and we're running, like through the hall, I'll fucking kill you. She's going to kill us. Incredible. Okay, but, but we ended up. See, but in those days, you didn't realize the power of of the Vegas thing, which is all you know, Joey Bag of Donuts and and Johnny Boy Maruka. We got called upstairs, uh huh, and we and we were told on no terms the mistake that we made, like you know what could happen to us. You have to go apologize to Miss Carol, and or else. And we were like, okay, because we, you know, we always crossed the line all to the point where we became like bodily fluids and functions, and we had to go apologize to her. And that was like really, you know, she wanted to kill us, wanted to have us fired, all that sort of stuff. But to, to us, we were really just having fun. That's all it really was. One more. Go ahead. We get to California. <laughs> we're a young, we're a young band, and and we have no place to live. So we we would go and try to get a record. We'd go t- to try to meet people because we were like cute and we were all like funny and it was like this thing. And we'd always flirt with the secretary, and one of us would end up with her, and he would sleep with her, and the other two would sleep on the floor. So we had a place to stay. <laughs> so we get a phone call. 
and, brothers, man. And, and Kenny Rogers in the first edition. Sure. I just dropped in sure. to see what condition my condition was in. We knew it was Kenny Rogers in the first edition, and we also knew they had a girl in the band with huge eyelashes and like childbearing lips. And we thought, ooh, let's go see if we can get in that. He asked if he had a good harmony band. And the three of us could harmonize. You know, it was great about the Bee Gees and the Osmonds. A lot of the family bands, once you start singing, the harmony just comes out and it's great. We go to Torrance and there's Kenny Rogers. And he had like the Elvis. This is where he wasn't country yet. He was. Oh, something's burning. uh, Yeah, he was rock and roll guy. And he had like Elvis glasses, but he had blue eyes. One blue east, one blue west. We took his glasses off. He was like Streisand. But yeah, I think the lens, the lens drew his eye in or whatever. But once he took him off, it was just like, it's like a Jerry Lewis thing. And, and, and so we sang all night, harmony, just double tracking all night. And remember, we were broke. So we do the, you know, hello, 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 with our hands out, waiting to see what we're going to get paid. He gave us $8 each and said, here, boys, go buy yourself some meat. To this day, I don't know what that meant. <laughs> go buy yourself some meat. He didn't say a burger. He didn't say, you know, some fish. It was some meat. Disturbing. <laughs> Disturbing. Yeah. Now when I hear that song in the Big Lebowski, oh, yeah. I'll always think of the yeah. story. You see, there you go. These are some cards that came from Jackie. Did, did you guys do The Wizard of Oz with Margaret Hamilton? We did. And that was a claim. <laughs> the original The witch. original. We, we, they asked us to do The Wizard of Oz in, at the Muni Opera in St. Louis, which is that whole circuit, like 10,000 people, and they're all paid to go. And Margaret Hamilton was the witch. Like, the real witch. And she was re- old, but as soon as she went, I'll get you, my pretty, there there it was. Now, another one of those things where we crossed the line. Dorothy, her name was Karen Wyman, a New York Jewish girl, kind of Broadway, sing just like Judy Garland, but her accent was like, look out, a twister. There's a twister over there. Sorceress, sorceress. He wants a heart. Well, just give him one. And no matter how, no matter how hard she tried... She was this other thing. I've been waiting so long to send me back to Kansas. Okay. So, so, so we were the three idiots, right? I was the lion. And I nailed it. Good, Bert Law. No, 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 it was great. That was good. The king. That was me. Brother Bill was the tin man. Well, golly, I need a heart. And Brett was the scarecrow with all the things. We wait for the last night, and Margaret Hamilton loved us because she saw that we were idiots, and she she came from an era at MGM where idiots were popular. Yeah. So she looked at us like, oh, those guys, and she we had such a great time with her. It's the last show, 10,000 people, Muni Opera, St. Louis, and she never could get rid of When she sang, it was heaven. When she talked, it was Hebronomics. Right. <laughs> Where are we going? Just not, not, not Dorothy-like. So she's saying, oh, I'm going to miss you most of all. <laughs> and she gives this guy a hug. She goes, I'm really going to miss you. And at the same time, we all said, we'll pray for your New York accent. And she told us, oh, fucking get and, and we all were mic'd. 
I'm going to fucking kill you. And this is Dorothy. I'm going to fucking kill you. And we're running around the stage as she's trying to murder us. It made the newspapers or whatever. We were running around. And it was so great. She got a hold of me on Facebook last year. And, and I answered her back. And she goes, you know, I've never, forg- <laughs> I've never forgiven you. And I said, yeah, that was dec- decades ago. We would never do anything like that now. Hilarious. No, 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 we wouldn't. And I said, you know, do you still have the bad accent? Do you still do hard G's? Going. Talking. <laughs> right. So my brother Brett and I actually wrote a sketch once about the hard G family. And it was a husband and wife sitting at the counter going, honey, yes, darling, I'm worried about our son, Greg. <laughs> what? What's going on? She goes, He's lost his G. No, that's impossible. So he called down his son. He goes, hey, what's going on? What's, hey, mom, what's happening? What's happening? He goes, son, you want keys to the car? And he goes, yes, I'll be going. And the G was always delayed. And we tried to make it work. It was an oil painting. <laughs> it's pretty smart. Yeah, well, hey, you, know, you don't know until you try. Yeah, right. Oh, and tell smart us about Edwin. Edwin, my great uncle. And, and first and, do an imitation. Okay, of well, I mean, I hear that you do a pretty good one too. Yeah. It, he 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 was so funny, but he was real. He was that in real life too. It's it's so interesting when you see an actor or somebody, and they're nothing like what they are when you see him on screen. He was exactly. So what's going on, boys? We want to have some fun. You just want to sit here and shoot the shit. <laughs> now there's a as a story that not too many people know about Ed. <laughs> he got a chance to play for Al Capone, I think, late 20s or whenever, <clears throat> Chicago. Curtain opens up. All the mob is sitting there. Al Capone. And on the stage is a stand-up microphone and a huge bun made from a deli, like huge. Nothing. Five minutes, Nothing. Ten minutes, nothing. You hear people getting uncomfortable. Like, what's going on? What's going on? All of a sudden, hands go through the thing like this. Open it up, and it's Edwin. And he steps out and goes to the mic. Goes, excuse me for stepping out of my role. <laughs> and he left. <laughs> God, there it is. Wow. Excuse me for stepping out of my role. <laughs> no. Comedy. <laughs> he was your great uncle. My great uncle. So Keenan Wynn was your uncle. And that's why he's in all of our film yeah, right. shorts he's and our movies hyster- and all that. Hyster- uh, yeah, hysterical. hysterical and-, and the Bounty Brothers. Yeah. So Keenan Wynn's? Keenan Wynn was my... His, wow. His, yeah. And, you know, On your dad's it's, side? It's, or your it, mom, uh, you, my dad. It's a pretty talented... Dad's side. Pretty, my dad's sister. Pretty talented family when you think about it. Obviously, Kate Hudson, yeah. my, my niece, sure. who's lovely and talented. Her brother, Oliver, my nephew... Who's on TV? He was on Nashville and a bunch of shows. And good-looking guy. My daughter Sarah wrote Dark Horse for Katy Perry. Wow! And as a writer, so all of this thing has kept it going. My my cousin, uh, Keenan Wynn's grandchild, is on Broadway here doing uh, Beautiful. Wasn't Tracy Keenan? And Tracy, Wynn, uh, he wrote Longest Yard. Yeah, we're TV. Yeah, TV yeah. So they mean, the, the family just goes on and on. Yeah, and on. she's right. pretty damn good and almost famous. Oh, she's great. She's and beautiful human. How do you too. like Gilbert? That Kate Hudson has the same blood as Ed Wynn. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's scary. That's right blowing my mind. 
you want to talk a little bit about music. You've done so much wonderful stuff. Tell us, yeah. tell us about before we get on to you producing for Ringo and, and all of that stuff. Tell well, us a little bit about Harry Nielsen because he's come uh, up the, on the, the show. The Hudson Brothers did. Uh, <clears throat> I guess the Lord must be in New York City. I love that one. Harry Nielsen song that he had written for Midnight Cowboy that didn't mm-hmm. get picked up, and we cut it, and we met him, and we became friends. And then later on, we became, like, great friends, and I produced his last album before he died. And he was remarkable, you know, and, and obviously a drinker and, and, and troubled, like most artists are. But we, we finished the record, and he died the next night after he finished the last vocal. <clears throat> And his wife, Una, called me and said, will you come in and speak at the funeral? And I kind of had this thing that I said, you know, I don't even want to go to my own funeral, let alone someone else's. I just didn't want to ever, you never see the guy again. It's just a whack. And she goes, please, Marky, no one has known him better than you the last five years of his life than you. So I said, okay. I said, all right. So there I was speaking at a funeral for the first time in my life. And there was Harry in the coffin. And in the audience, Paul Williams, George Harrison, uh, uh, Jimmy Webb, every Van Dyke Parks, every great songwriter you'd ever want to see was in the audience because Harry Nielsen was one of them. And I started telling stories about when I went through my divorce and I was living in my studio. Harry would call me every day and go, I love you. And I could hear in his voice that he really did. And it was really the only thing that I had that made me feel like I was loved. One day he goes, Marky, I want to take you out to Hamburger Hamlet. Let's go. And he picks me up and he gives me this book that says 272 of the world's stupidest things ever said. Signs it to me. We're sitting at the Hamburger Hamlet. You could still smoke then. And the waitress comes up and he's telling a story that a video that he did with Ringo. And the girl's taking our order and she goes, Ringo? You mean... Ringo the Beatle? Ringo Starr? Oh, my God. Ringo the Beatle? You mean Ringo the Beatle? Harry looks at her, grabs my book, crosses off 72, and puts 73 of the stupidest things ever said. <laughs> and so I tell that at the, at the funeral, and everyone breaks up because the people there knew him and loved him for that. Cut to, we're putting Harry into the earth. Everyone's standing around, and they start to lower him, and George Harrison goes, fuck you. And there's a moment of, what, what? Everyone looks around, he goes, fuck you. And we're thinking, "Uh uh-oh, maybe something happened. And then George goes, it's my favorite song you ever did. You're breaking (laughs) my heart. Yeah, sure. You're tearing it apart, so fuck you. That's a great one. (laughs) So we sang that song as we lowered Harry into the earth. Well, well, the documentary's great. Thank you. It's really really good. And that's for as much as they could say. You know, those of us, it's so interesting. Those of us that know more, you only say so much. And then the other stuff either gets held on to your own heart. And people know him. I mean, laypersons would know only the song from Midnight Cowboy, which he didn't write. No. And, and from uh, Without, Without Me, you. which is big. But the guy had a, just a body of work. People, let me tell you about oh, my sure. best friend. Sure. Me and my arrow. Stand in the fire, uh, jump in the fire. Jump in the fire, take yeah. the lime in yeah. the coconut. Yeah. All Harry Nilsson. The whole soundtrack to the, Man. the Popeye movie. Yeah, just a great talent. We talented, talk. talented guy, and yeah. a beautiful human, too, on top of it.
We will return to Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast after this. Did you now, hang with now, the vampires? Were you one? Oh of yeah, I was one of them. Yeah. Now that cartoon where that came from, that Harry Nielsen, the point, the point. Oh, the point. Yeah. Wasn't it? I, they changed the voiceover guys. Yes. It, Once it, it was it, Dustin Hoffman. Dustin Hoffman, then Ringo. Then Ringo. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Dustin Hoffman was under contract, and he, there was like a period in which he could do it, and then it stopped. You know, why stuff like that happens, I still never know. I mean, if I'm going to do a voiceover for you, here's my voice, use it. But I guess that's the business part that we're all not good at. Of course, I'm certainly not. No, nor I. And and you knew John Lennon. I did. That was <clears throat> the the last weekend. Once again, we were signed to Elton John's label. John was very friendly. With Elton in L.A. and everyone in L.A. is very groovy, you know. It's like I like New York because no one doesn't tell the truth. You know, it's I don't like you, and or I do like you. <clears throat> so we were there, and everyone's outside. All the Californians going. There's a Beatle upstairs, and you know, but they've broken up. It was like 1972 or something like that. And I went, "What Beatle?" And they went, uh, "You know." John, the one with the glasses, and I run upstairs and sitting in a corner by himself is John Lennon with a drink, smoking a cigarette by himself. And maniac man, I walk up to him and go, John, my name is Mark Hudson. We're signed to Elton's label and you're the walrus, but I want to be the walrus. And you have Yoko. I'm dating a black girl named Coco. It's really close. Coco, Yoko, Yoko, Coco. And he's like looking at me and I'm just talking a mile a minute. And he goes, sit down. And I sit down next to him. And he goes, okay, you can ask me one Beatle question every time we're together. He goes, you ask me two, I'll punch you in the fucking head. So I got to ask, every time I was with him, I got to ask a Beatle question. And even though it was a lost weekend, it was very sad because he wanted to come home. He wanted to come back to Yoko. They call he, it the weekend, but it was actually like <laughs> 17 it was, it was long. months or something. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he was very, very hurt. And I'm, whenever an artist gets hurt, we take it out and drinking and being horrible but he was always elton would take us to clubs that were very very strange like it was like everyone had hair you know when you have a beard and you use the same attachment that does your hair and your beard that kind of gi joe oh yeah ken doll yeah. sort of thing and we like take an us, edger. Yeah, yeah, he'd take yeah. us to clubs with guys in hot pants, and their names were like Spartacus and Erectus. This <laughs> scary, <laughs> scary, scary clubs and stuff. And if you drop your keys, kick them back to your car, because bada-boom. And, and Lennon would be sitting there, and he'd hear a song, because he was about music all the time. When will I see you again? And he went, I fucking love this song. He goes, come on, Hudson, let's go have a dance. And the three brothers and John Lennon go to the dance floor, and there we are dancing with a beetle surrounded by Spartacus, Erectus, and Buttfloss. Just <laughs> all at once. Weird. No, we have weird but yeah. beautiful. Yeah. You know, I, he actually needed friends then because everyone was a fan. And even though I was like the biggest fan, I kind of held back a little bit because I didn't want to cross that line and have him go, oh, no, he's one of them. You met all four Beatles and you worked with three. Yeah. Pretty good. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad. For a kid you know, from an Italian kid you know, from, and from you know, uh, Portland, Oregon. And it was weird because my mom took us to see the Beatles when I was a young boy. And she worked. we were on the dole because no father. And she woke and she worked her butt off and got us tickets to go see the Beatles. 
And at this point, it was my first and only homosexual experience. When I saw them play, every part of me was moist. <laughs> Here comes Lynch. <laughs> I don't know what it was. <laughs> it's just, I saw this. Whatever that is, I want, I want some of that. And that's what drove me into getting into music. And you wound up producing, which we said at the intro, nine Ringo records, yeah. nine Ringo albums. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that, and and that's and you know not everything from George Martin on down. You know, rest his soul. He, you know, he was a much greater loss than any of us can think about because we always we always see the act, but we never see you know once again the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain. I should say we're recording this on March 16th, right after George passed. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, it, it's just like you know, he will not be forgotten because he was more than what than the Beatles. He his orchestrations and everything that he brought to contemporary music beyond the Beatles was incredible. Oh, the goons. I know. Yeah. And, all the and, you know, and, and he was he a lovely guy. It was weird because on the, on the Vertical Man record, he did two string charts. And, and I'm sitting in the studio and I'm the producer, but standing right next to me is the greatest producer of all ever, as in George Martin. And the, the cellos are, the song was called King of Broken Hearts. And George Harrison had played a slide guitar. It was, like, beautiful. But the cellos did this descending, and it was wrong. And he he looked at me over his glass. He goes, Mark, you you look befuddled. You look you look stymied. You look confused. Is everything all right? And I went, well, I was hoping that, that the cello, I was afraid to say it to him because it, he is the guy. He's George Martin. And I went, I, I wish that they could be, I wish they sounded more like, and he looked over his glasses and said, walrusy? And I went, yes, walrusy. And he went out and changed the position of the microphones, and the orchestra became, and there it was. It's just like, I'm really, really fortunate. Yeah, what Besides being be with you, of. Mama Luke's, yeah. you, my, my, my life has been pretty good. <laughs> Mama Luke's, that is a good word for Do us. Do you think the Beatles could have existed without George Martin? No. No, I think what ended up happening, I think the organic talent was there, but I think what they didn't know was the musical part that he brought to them. They were like a rock band, and all of a sudden, he started doing harpsichord parts and started doing string arrangements and started doing all this other stuff that they didn't know. But, you know, later on when I got to know him, he would be talking and he would say, in the end, I was learning from them which is a great sign of a great producer. He knew when all of a sudden they knew what they were doing. So he sat back and watched them do everything, the experimenting, all that stuff. And that's the sign of a great producer. So he was like in, in all those years, like the invisible Beatle. Oh yeah. Everything. All the rain. In fact, uh, let me take you down strawberry fields. They cut four times and went on holiday and George Martin put it together with the backwards tape and all that stuff that he put it together while they were on holiday. And then obviously they brought it back and they tweaked stuff like you knew that they would. He was the fifth Beatle. No question about it. We, no question. Uh, we have barely scratched the surface and we've been in here, what, almost, uh, almost two hours, Frankie? Close to... Uh, Huh? One and a half. Uh, one and a half. And I apologize. You know what? No. I'm sorry, you guys. Once, because once I know that I'm safe, yeah. I start talking <laughs> beyond <laughs> what I should. No, Mark, it's a treat. And there's so much stuff that well, we didn't cover. You, you still haven't told us about who shit in the living room. <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, or, 
I blacked out after the smell of curry. <laughs> you come back with us another time and talk about all kinds of Brian Wilson, and we'll talk about Ozzy. Ozzy, Aerosmith, you name it. And Aerosmith, and, and you were in a Martin Balsam movie with William Demarest. <laughs> oh, my yes. God. Wow. And I mean, we're, I, we do deep research. He and Alice was Cooper great, we could talk yeah. about. And There's a whole bunch of stuff. A whole bunch of stuff. And then stuff that you don't even know. Well, we'll and, have, and hopefully we'll next time you're back, those people you told us about will be dead, <laughs> and you'll be able to tell those stories. Tell every story. I want to <laughs> plug your album, The Artist, which is fun. Thank you. And, yeah. and Happy is a, is a fun song and, Thank and, you. and really catchy. And so and, many people in the video. I don't know if you've seen the video. Yes, I did. Robert, it, Robert, Robert Downey, Downey and all these people Gary Oldman, turning up. I saw Gary Oldman. President Clinton. Yes. I shot everybody, too, because I direct my own videos. So take us out with something. I, I yeah, think I will. We, oh, tell us what you want to pluck. Okay. Oh, I'm actually, I don't know when this is coming out. Uh, probably about three weeks. Okay, so April, weeks maybe. April 18th, I do a, uh, a show at the Iridium here in New York, 51st and Broadway. The Iridium, Monday on the Hudson. I do one Monday each month. Well, we'll get it out before the 18th. Okay, if, if you can. And then just come and see me. And if not, like I tell the first story about being Italian. My grandfather, Giuseppe Salerno, would put me on his lap. I was a toddler. He'd bounce me on his lap. And I didn't realize until I was 18, he was telling me to go fuck myself. <laughs> now, should I do the rap and then have him play... Or yeah, like, why don't you? Okay, and and do you? Okay. Wanna, I just want to ask you one thing about the Iridium. You have guest stars with you, like yeah, you did. Yes, are you kidding? Because you had you had Joey Mullen from Joey, Badfinger. And, uh, yes, and uh, Buster Poindexter. Okay, Earl Slick from Lennon's oh, band. Oh God, Badfinger's another thing we didn't. We didn't get to talk on. about Badfinger. Wow. Wait, the next look, time we hey, have a reason to have you. back. I live in the city. Okay. And, and if talk I didn't scare you, I can always come back. So, so April eighteenth, April eighteenth at the Iridium, and the website. Oh, um, not the website. ConnectPal.com slash Jackie's Joke Hunt. Okay. <laughs> is a podcast. Okay, good. You're doing a podcast. With Jackie. Bless your heart. You want to plug your own website? Why not? Okay, oh, go. No, no, no. You I, don't I, want to do that? No, I don't have one. Okay. All right. Wow. Um, okay, let me just wrap this show and then you'll play out with the song. This has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host, Frank Santo Padre. Here at Nutmeg Post with our engineer, Frank Verderosa, and uh, a guy who's done everything. <laughs> yes, he has. Music, <laughs> comedy, and uh, has seen uh, some very beautiful celebrity yep. uh, shit in a living room, <laughs> most importantly. And he saw uh, yes. Mr. Green Jeans lose it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he saw he saw Cleveland. Mr. Right. Mr. Green <laughs> lose it, and and he watched his brother uh, stab the bacon. <laughs> uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, Mark Hudson. Okay, thank you, Mark. You're very, very welcome. Let me make sure. It's been a ride. Is, let me make sure, make sure this is on. <laughs> Yeah, it's good enough. Okay, so. Okay. Something's wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. Something's wrong with our eyes. I'm seeing things in a different way. And God knows it ain't his. Sure ain't no surprise. Yeah, we're living on the edge. And Stephen goes, stop, stop. <laughs> I've never seen a mouth that big in my life. 
It was a Puerto Rican family having lunch on his tongue. Just, oh, oh, yeah. John Lennon's in the room. John Lennon's in the room! And he felt it. So I then do the song. It becomes a huge hit. It wins a Grammy. It pays for my divorce, my penis extension, and other things in my life. But the song... Uh, the song... I'll just kind of do a, a piece. Because it, it actually makes more sense now than when I originally wrote it. Something's wrong with the world today. I don't know what it is. There's something wrong with our eyes. Seeing things in a different way And God knows it ain't his Sure ain't no surprise We're living on the edge You can't stop yourself from falling Living on the edge You can't help yourself at all Living on the edge You can't stop yourself from falling yeah. Living on the edge Yeah Tell me what you think about your situation Complications, aggravations Are getting to you Yeah, yeah If Chicken Little tells you that the sky is falling Even if it wasn't, would you still come crawling back again? I bet you would, my friend Again and again and again and again There's something right and everybody knows it's wrong You can let it go You got to know that I'm gonna be you hanging on Go buy some meat do, do, do. I'm living on the edge You can't help yourself from falling Living on the edge You can't help yourself You can't help yourself From a bad version of living on the edge. Thank all two of you. Sound like a Hudson Brother audience. <laughs> two people clapping. And that was Mark Hudson. Yep. Thank you, Mark. Peace and love. You're the best. If I don't see you again, so what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> 